folks, and welcome to FanWith, a fanbyte podcast. Uh, we have something a little bit special for you today because this isn't a normal episode of FanWith. This is actually an interview with Dan Alpert, who is the art director of The Outer Worlds. I got to speak with him the other day, about 30 minutes or so, and we talked a whole lot about The Outer Worlds, about architecture in the game, about weapon design, about character design, about sort of how they go about creating narrative quests and how they go about making the art kind of all make sense in a big, wild, wacky world. We also talked about branding and sort of the way they actually figured out how to brand a whole bunch of satirical corporations and things like that. So hopefully it's a little treat for you all. And we'll be back with a normal episode next time around. But yeah, we thought we would share this interview with you. One quick note, the audio quality is not what you are probably used to here. Uh, this was just, you know, like a phone interview basically on my computer. So it's a little bit muddier than what you're probably used to. Just a heads up on that. Uh, obviously, uh, we are going to have a written piece that will have most of the content as well. But in case you wanted to hear it, you know, right from us, basically, here is the podcast. So without further ado, here is the interview with Outer Worlds, not Outer Wilds, but Outer Worlds art director, Dan Alpert. Thank you, first of all. Really appreciate it, uh, making the time. Uh, I love The Outer Worlds. It's a lot of fun. It's a very cool game. And the first thing I wanted to ask you about is the architecture in the game, if you could speak to that. Because there's this sort of really wonderful Old West kind of vibe to the buildings. I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, the themes you wanted to convey through the architecture itself and, like, the way the buildings actually look. Well, we want to evoke a, a frontier life. That was the probably one of the number one things we wanted to do. Cool. And with that, especially with our time period that we wanted to start from, that just fit right in there. So getting that Old West feeling was kind of captured, was very important. Cool. But at the same time, we wanted to juxtapose that with something like Byzantium in our world, okay. which felt very different from that Old West feeling. And we... we Use basically, if you were in the Old West time period, how would like the big city look like compared to you? And so that's how we kind of juxtapose like our frontier life versus the city life. Nice. And that seems to really go for so many of the themes of the game. I, I remember going to Byzantium and there's that amazing side quest with like the movie producer, but it also feels like very old time movie producer and, and, and that kind of thing. Was that an especially, I don't know if you particularly worked on that specific scene. Obviously it's a, it's a pretty big game, but I'm almost wondering if that was also tied very much into the, oh, the bright lights of the city sort of thing. Well, absolutely. Cool. Um, I remember the first time I, I, I heard the, the voice acting on that, I was like, oh, who's this creepy guy? <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, yeah, when we, we use uh, Maverick Johnson, I think was his name too. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic name. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that was absolutely fun. We wanted to get that feeling of like an old time uh, cinema feeling and pulling you into not just like trying out an audition, but actually putting you into a set piece mm. where they would film these movies. 
um, at Odeon Pictures. And yeah, that was absolutely something that if you look around the world, you'll see like little pieces of Odeon Pictures stamped on things as like they're filming it there. Yeah, it's really fun. It was a really cool little side quest. And I wanted to ask uh, specifically with Byzantium, if there were any sort of real world cities or they don't have to be real. They could be, you know, cinematic cities or other games or, you know, what kind of inspiration came for the the sort of buildings there and that, that sort of everything seems so tall, right, when you're kind of walking through there? Um, well, we were very influenced, um, again, taken from that time period that we were going from basically 1880s to like 1910s, 1920s. Yeah. Um, we were very influenced of the art style of that time, which uh, uh, was Art and Vogue. Yeah. And so when you look at Art Nouveau cities, Paris was like one of the big ones that just stood out as something we wanted to emulate for Byzantium. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, speaking a little bit about, you know, sort of general design ideas and general aesthetic ideas, I've always kind of been really, really interested in sort of how hard it is to use visual language to help players navigate. So not only feeling like they're in a place, these incredible, you know, Wild Westy kind of towns in this sort of, you know, big city, um, but all the towns and all the cities feel very easy to understand pretty easily, uh, pretty immediately. And I, of course, that has a lot to do with art direction. And I don't have the language for this, but I guess I'm curious how you kind of navigate that, how you make things look both amazing and also like easy to read and easy for players to understand. You know, you have to basically use the composition of the scene to help drive the player forward. Yeah. And there's a lot of elements that help you do that, such as... Uh, uh, depth and uh, repeating elements um, also like just basically almost at times forcing a player through a corridor makes them have to go forward so when you first land in in Edgewater you know you have to go through that main thoroughfare first and you have to be able to like and with that main thoroughfare it, it drives you and you start seeing like these like little points of interest along the way that help help you not just, like, know where to go, but also help navigate you. Yeah. Um, Byzantium itself was actually built on concentric rings to emulate almost a solar system. So you start on one of the more outer rings, and you're driven forward going to a couple more inner rings, which brings you actually to to the Halcyon Tower. Nice. I didn't even realize that. And now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, my God, that <laughs> that really makes sense. And that's extremely cool. Is that also almost thematically relevant in terms of, oh, Edgewater is very much like, a, uh, you know, a town you could basically all prefab materials like you could put it down anywhere, whereas Byzantium is like, you know, the grand center of the of the galaxy almost there. Oh, that was. 100 uh, <laughs> percent the case nice. uh, we wanted to uh, make the the frontier towns especially like edgewater feel very haphazardly put together they used the supplies they were given and this is what you get so make the best out of it kind of deal where byzantium was we are taking all the resources for ourselves and we're going to use it to make it uh, our city feel like we're at home on earth and does that also sort of extend to the various characters and their designs and their costumes and things like that? Like, is there any, uh, uh, well, that's probably an obvious question, but <laughs> is there like a good example of how that sort of uh, thinking went into some of the character designs? 
Oh, absolutely. I Thanks. mean, I think, especially like occupation, when yeah. two characters designs, Pavardi is clearly an engineer, like from the get-go. She, she is, you find her working on, well, wanting to work on things <laughs> when she's talking to Reed. And um, so she is designed in like this kind of like very overall-like outfit. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, her counter in the first meeting you meet her with Reed is more of like the town manager kind of vibe. Like, yeah. I am the so on, so on uh, mayor of the city kind of deal. But, and that's how he's um, dressed. Yeah, totally. I always find that really cool in terms of, uh, you know, talking about like costume design. Obviously, it's not like a physical costume, but it's like a virtual costume, right? Which is yeah. just a cool, fun way uh, to kind of think about it. Uh, there is, again, uh, something I wanted to ask about, and this this goes back a little bit to the architecture, but, I, you know, I've heard the term weenies used for, like, uh, theme park design, right? You, you're seeing the, the Tower of Terror in, uh, you know, Hollywood Studios, or you're seeing Space Mountain kind of in the background. And you talked about that a little bit, uh, of course, earlier, but I'm thinking especially of Scylla with that, like, giant terraformer or, or like, monarchs, towns, and, and the sort of the mountains that are projected in the background. I'm wondering if you, you could speak a little bit more to that and, like, the idea of, like, having those landmark kind of objects draw you in. Yeah, I mean, weenies themselves were, I think, uh, uh, that was pointed out by Walt Disney, I think, when making his theme parks. Uh, yeah. Basically, it's no matter where you are in that theme park, you see places you want to visit. And so it, with games, especially when you have more of an open world hub style game that we do, um, where you can easily get lost, it's very important to have points of interest all throughout the landscape to not only orientate the player, but also like lure them. So when you see that giant terraformer on Scylla, like I want to kind of go to that giant terraformer and see what's going on there. I certainly did, yeah. <laughs> I sort of immediately was like, what's, what's happening over there? Um, which is very cool. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, this was really fun for me uh, in playing the game. I hope it was fun for you guys making the game, but all the different branding for all these yeah. different corporations. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like for coming up with the art for all these things and coming up with these different sort of brands? I would say that was probably some of the most fun we had on the project. Nice. Uh, we, we had like a general list of items we wanted to, we knew we wanted a brand. And then the narrative team in all their brilliance would come up with these fantastic slogans <laughs> just like these like out there ideas and it would it just create this like weird catalyst for us to play with and run with and we just yeah we just kept riffing off of that to make these fun designs that is is so good uh where did spacer's choice come from just since that you know that's the first one you kind of get to and so that sets the stage a little bit for everything else the sort of like walmart or off-brand or whatever (laughs) That was, um, there was two corporations that Tim and Leonard came up with, uh, nice. pretty much right off the bat. And that was Spacer's Choice and that was, uh, Anti-Cleo's. Nice. And Spacer's Choice was seen in some of our earliest, earliest concept work as being like the Taste of Freedom ads. And it's not the best choice, it's Spacer's Choice. <laughs> and we just had fun playing with that. And it's like, whoa. Right away with Anticleo, we had a, a little icon character 
um, to go with that corporation. And we always wanted to have something as well to counter that with Spacer's Choice. And eventually we came with the Moon Man. And that was just fun to keep playing with. It sounds like you uh, worked really closely with the narrative team on on all of these. Uh, is that is that typically the case uh, for the types of games that y'all make, or is that like, oh, on this one we really kind of worked extra together? Oh, that's typically the case yes. here, especially at Obsidian. Story is key and it drives everything. I want to know a little bit more about the branding, like in terms of what the pitching process was like. And, you know, uh, if somebody came up with like, a cool slogan, did a concept artist, then immediately, you know, start thinking like, oh, this would be a cool thing to draw for this, or this would be a cool font to use, or, or that sort of thing. I guess I'm just really interested in how, uh, <laughs> how you pitched. <laughs> let, me see, let me see if I can, like, think of a, an example. Sure. Oh, now, I might have pushed pause because I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, it's okay. There's no pressure. <laughs> um, well... I'll say a little, probably a little bit more generically. Sure. We had a uh, we have a chat channel at work, and we call it Picks and Words, and it's basically all the concept members of the team and all the narrative members of the team. And again, it would be like throughout, like, well, we have a loading screen here, but we're not quite sure what do you do? And like, like all of a sudden the, the narrative team would start throwing in all these um, awesome phrases and I, I can't even like speak to some of them. Like the, the words are too hard for me. Like, <laughs> I think there was like once we wanted to, here's a good example. We wanted to show that the windows of the colony were all fake. Nothing <laughs> is real. And we wanted to drive that point home, so we made a loading screen basically showing the window. Here's your fake window. Look how great it is. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was Leonard himself come up with, like, vermissitude of the window or something along those lines. <laughs> and, like, it was one of those things, like, the concept team and I'm, myself are like, I don't even know this word, but it sounds amazing. And we used it to help drive home that point of, like this kind of selling of this grandeur design, which really is just a crappy window. That's not even a window. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even function as an actual window. Right? No, not at all. <laughs> like in, around Edgewater, you see them, see them hanging off. Some are barely connected by a little wire that's supposed to power them and stuff. It's, they put more energy into the window itself than actually trying to cut a hole into the wall. <laughs> I love that. That's so, yeah, that's so uh, thematically <laughs> appropriate for the game, <laughs> for sure. Along with, you know, the sort of general branding and uh, uh, <laughs> the jingles and all that other kind of fun stuff uh, that went along with it, can you talk a little bit about uh, kind of the weapon design and how, was it fun? Was it especially interesting and challenging to do different designs for kind of kind of the same general thing outside of the science weapons? Of course, the science weapons being... You know, probably a little bit different in certain ways, but yeah. Well, it, it, it's very challenging because yeah. along the uh, the different manufacturers, you have the same weapon types. Like, here's your one-handed pistol. Here's yeah. your two-handed rifle. Here's your um, uh, melee, one-handed melee and two-handed melee. So it it came it became very key right away that and that the corporations would evolve each um, each manufacturer style so with spacer's choice we wanted to make these kind of very 
junkie-like weapons that <laughs> we weren't quite sure how they fit together, but somehow they were able to use off-the-shelf parts and make something um, that worked. And then other weapons, such as like a jock, like was just full of flourishes and grandeur and just like ridiculousness in how awesome it is. <laughs> nice. And yeah, and, and the science weapons themselves, can you talk a little bit about where some of that uh, stylistic inspiration came from? Because they, they are both, you know, a lot of fun to look at. And of course, they have the really fun status effects and all that other cool stuff. Oh, yeah. It's the science weapons where just like, what are the most kind of fun things we can make? <laughs> um, one of the things, it, it started off as a joke, was the, um, the prismatic hammer. Sure. And we knew that uh, it was a Hammersmith weapon. And the internal joke was Hammersmith does not have any hammers. So <laughs> for the science weapon, we were going to make the most ultimate hammer for, for, the, for Hammersmith. But of course, it became like too cost ineffective of a weapon for Hammersmith to actually manufacture. So. Uh, that, that went into that design. It's like, how ridiculous can we make it? We made this cool animating head that just changed and morphed. Um, that was a lot of fun. The, uh, oh, man, I don't remember the name of the weapon. The, the hitty stick. Oh, the little swirly yeah, stick? Thank you. Mandela Rearranger. <laughs> yes. Basically, we knew, like, at first it froze the victim in place. So we used the same kind of like cryo technology that we used to that you know, the player found themselves awoken in um, to help make this weapon. So you see it kind of venting the same kind of gaseous fumes and everything like that. And then at the same time is like we just have fun with like every time you hit the player uh, or hit an NPC, it, the, it just rearranges their face in these horrific kind of ways. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to ask a, a sort of general question about making all this branding. Was there any point where, you know, you're, you're, you know, you and your team had like a long night or a long day and you're kind of like, we're making an anti-corporate game, but we're kind of, uh, we're doing it using all this kind of corporate branding. Was that ever like a funny thing you ever thought to yourself and you're like, yeah, that's kind of a weird, funny little anecdote, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the game, at the end of the day, we are selling a product. Right. You know, so there's, there's definitely an irony there. But <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, and like, it's corporations that are help driving this product to the shelves. Uh, but basically, yeah, I mean, that wasn't lost on us. It, it, we knew that we were playing with those kind of themes, and it was it was funny at the same time as like you know we're taking it seriously as well. That's really that's really cool. I I always kind of have the same thing when we have a you know branding exercise about naming something or or whatever, and you know you kind of have fun with it uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways, which is very cool. Uh, is there a particular area uh, of the game, a particular town, or a particular you know space that you're especially fond of that you think really came together in a in a really cool way or a really kind of special way? Um, I would say that's probably Scylla. Scylla is one of those places where it was actually near the end of production that we put together that map. Oh, and nice. It was, we wanted just a cool space vista. 
um, and using the, the Terraformer. And Scylla has the only app to Terraformer um, currently running in the game. And it was just like, well, if there's only one Terraformer, how does that affect that kind of region? So we were able to make this like asteroid-like setting. But when you go to the base of the Terraformer itself, you start seeing like little um, pieces of grass and flora starting to like spring up out of the ground and stuff, like showing it's working, but just not to like the massiveness of Terra 2 or Monarch. Yeah, that is a really, really cool detail. Thank you. That, um, I remember going to that and seeing it and being like, oh my God, this is, this is awesome. This is like almost going to be the new Monarch, but hopefully it'll go better, uh, you yes. know, the, <laughs> for these people then. <laughs> yeah, right. Things didn't go so hot. Uh, uh, starting to wrap up, but there was certainly uh, a question I had about sort of the creature design and how cool it was. I, I just want to comment. It was really cool to see that, you know, it's in the story that these creatures that are now trying to kill you, especially on Monarch, are, you know, sort of weirdly evolved forms of more, you know, benign creatures and things like that. So I guess I'm just wondering what the backstory was for that. How did you kind of uh, fall onto, oh, let's make these cute critters horrible monsters? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the idea really is like when we terraform something, especially on Monarch, it went bad. And it went bad in several different ways. And the mantisaurs are a great, like, idea of how it went bad. So... Um, people that will notice like the Mantisaur Queen has kind of like, these like frills on the head of the, the queen. Yeah. And like what the intent of was of that was, that design was the Mantisaurs were originally very small, very, very small creatures on Monarch that you could probably almost like step on or something. They were harmless. And they used to hide in these plants. And the, the fronds on the, the head of the Mantisaur resembled the plants that they hide hidden. So when you're actually going around like Monarch and you start seeing these plants, those were once the size of, those were where the mantisaurs were once the size of those plants. And so we're kind of like showing that the terraformer actually just took that animal and just stretched it into like these like monstrous beings. That's really cool. I love that, that kind of uh, inherent storytelling like that. It's very, that's really rad. Uh, one of my last questions is going to be, if you have a favorite character uh, to work on, you know, to design, to work on, to, you know, sort of help shape what that character was, and if you have a favorite character to play the game as. Jeez. <laughs> That's a tough Or to play game. with, I suppose, is more. But yeah. <laughs> I know Tavari's a fan favorite. People love Tavari. Yeah. Um, people love Martin Callahan a lot. Man, there's so many cool um, guys. There's even um, McRed in the back base of Groundbreaker, who has like these like um, terrible hairstyle. It's <laughs> fantastic when it's put together. Uh. I don't know. It's, it's hard to choose because we had so much fun designing a lot of these characters. Everything from uh, Zora and Graham to um, um, Reed when you first meet him in the bowler hat. <laughs> it, it was, that was one thing. <laughs> where Reed was wearing the bowler hat in our early playthroughs and people were immediately trying to kill Reed just to get the bowler hat. (laughs) (laughs) So we had to make sure that that was available because obviously that was something people wanted. I don't know if I have a very favorite character. I think we we came up with a a fun group of costumes and uh, 
accessories and just being able to make your own character kind of fit your game style uh, is just was rewarding in itself. Yeah. And is that why there's a fancy hat that's available like pretty early on in the game? <laughs> is it because of Reed? Fancy hat. I mean, that's just like, I think every game needs fancy hats. <laughs> I, I agree completely. Uh, and yeah, that's actually all the questions I had. I think uh, every game needs fancy hats is like a perfect, that's oh, chef's kiss right there. That's a great quote. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This has been uh, extremely fun. Uh, congrats on the game. It is, it's wonderful. Uh, it seems like people have really enjoyed it as well. So that's awesome. It was fun, it was fun to make it. Awesome. I, I'm always very happy to hear that. I, I you know, there's always uh, scary stories about game dev. And so I'm always happy to hear when people had like a, a you know, good experience making something that's beloved. Sweet. Absolutely.